Please listen carefully. Welcome back to the Utterly Moderate Podcast. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to take a peek behind the curtain in the world of professional wrestling. We'll be joined by Nyla Rose, a female professional wrestler and former women's world champion who wrestles for All Elite Wrestling, or AEW, which you can watch weekly on both TBS and TNT. And for those who are unfamiliar, AEW is actually the primary competitor to Vince McMahon's WWE wrestling promotion. We'll be joined in this conversation by Jimmy Zavesky, a professional wrestler and promoter who works on the independent scene and actually trained Nyla and helped her break into the business. So should be a pretty cool conversation. Then in segment two, we'll take a look around the news at some of the stories that are shaping our world at the moment. So first up is independent wrestler and promoter Jimmy Zavesky, better known between the ropes as Jimmy Z. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, so uh, we have AEW superstar Nyla Rose joining us in a few minutes. But before she gets here, let's chat a bit about the business. So uh, you have a long history in, in wrestling. You actually started your own company, Kaida Pro, right? So where did Kaida Pro uh, run wrestling shows? Yeah, it started in 1998, and it was in Northern Virginia is where I got started. Uh, and Kaida stands for Keep Your Dreams Alive. I was always a wrestling fan. I uh, got into wrestling when I moved to West Virginia for my first teaching job, and then it kind of just ballooned from there. And uh, so you put on shows all over the place. You also trained a lot of uh, people that came through your wrestling school. So tell us a bit about some of the people that you trained and, and some of the success they went on to have. Yes. Uh, well, the training school was in Northern Virginia. Uh, bounced around there and had Sanjay Dutt, who's uh, Impact X Division champion. Uh, he is now a uh, producer behind the scenes for AEW. He had been in WWE behind the scenes. Joey Mercury uh, from Eminem with uh, Milena and Johnny Nitro. Uh, he came from the actual school right before I formed Kaida Pro. Mickey James is probably the biggest name that most people heard of. Uh, she was the first big time making it to WWE and winning the women's championship at WrestleMania in Chicago, uh, which they had flown me out to. And I got to witness firsthand, which was amazing. Um, Mickey James, one of the biggest female superstars in the history of WWE, right? I would say, yes, I think she's going to be, well, as they say, the first ballot hall of famer. Uh, she had her second run in WWE. And when they let her go, she went to NWA and back to TNA. And she is now, going to be in the Royal Rumble coming up. So there has to be some kind of respect there when she's under contract with another company and WWE reached out to get her to make an appearance. But I think, yeah, she's one of the best wrestlers out there. And then we have uh, Mia Yim. She's back on the independence, but she was in retribution in WWE. Uh, one of the females there. She was in TNA as well, uh, part of the dollhouse. So she's been, you know, doing pretty well for herself. And there's a few others. I guess up and comers, uh, Logan, Logan Waite, uh, Logan Leroux, uh, part of the 1% group. He's starting to make a name for himself and getting really looked at, had an AEW dark match and 
wrestling against some bigger names on the independent scene, and there, there's some eyes on him. So hopefully we'll be seeing him on national TV, you know, within the next few months. And of course, uh, a person who's going to be joining us in a few moments, which is Nyla Rose. So tell us a little bit about your history with Nyla, training her, and, and where she is now. Yeah, Nyla is an amazing story, but then I look at everyone that's been successful. They all have their own stories, and it all involves hard work, passion, and not giving up. Um, Nyla started uh, training. You'll probably get a sense of her sense of humor, uh, her her style. She was entertaining, but one of the most loyal people that I had at Kaida Pro, willing to do anything for me, whatever it was, whether it was to be the announcer, a referee. At one point in time, she dressed up as a ninja because I had ninja dolls I was trying to sell. You you say it, if I had to go to a school to talk to the kids, she was a phone call away and she made the time to come and do that. So seeing her achieve is not a surprise. And I'll also say she went to Japan three different times to get to learn the trait from the Japanese, their style, and being looked at. And that's what helped her. Kenny Omega saw her saw her in Japan, you know, and then contacted when they got back to the U.S. So she's paid her dues to get looked at, and she's just starting. I mean, it's AEW is building up, and she's got lofty goals to keep going. But with everybody, Mickey James, too, the hard work that they put in, the sacrifices that they make, people don't see that. They see them on TV and see how they just made it. But there's a lot of work that goes into a lot of years. All right. Now, I'm sure there's no... um I'm sure there's no hard and fast rule here to how long this takes, but let's just say for a, um, a somewhat typical person, how long might a training last? I realize you train throughout your life and you learn, you know, as you go on the road and, and all these sorts of things, you go to dojos and all those sorts of things over the course of your, your career. But, um, you know, for a typical person who has some skills and some ability when they come in, how long might they train before you actually put them out there in Kaida Pro in front of an audience? Usually, uh, the contract training is usually six months, and that's when somebody can go in there and be basic, you know, to keep it simple so that no one gets hurt because you're in there with a the partner. The job is to make sure both of you guys do not get seriously injured. Uh, you're to entertain the fans. But you're looking from six months to a year when people can be trained enough to then put on a match from there. But, yeah, to get to the next level, it is constant training. Right. Like I say, Kaida Pro, for those people, it all started where that's where they entered the door. They put in a year or two or three and then went someplace else and started training with them to go to the next level, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like Mickey James ended up having Dory Funk Jr. She came, uh, he came to our school. He used to be doing all the training for WWE uh, and brought him down and got the name out there. And then she continued on. So it's one of those... It's a never-ending cycle, but usually six months you can get in the ring and get beat up, basically. All right. So, uh, you know, somebody walks in the door, they've paid the money, um, you know, they're ready to go. Let's talk, uh, let's talk month by month. So, first month they're there, what are some of the things they might be learning? The biggest thing I'm going to stress is locker room etiquette understanding the business and I'm not going to share too much information because you have to pay for that. Uh, but the first week is just kind of going over that. Then it's doing some basics of getting in and out of the ring. What does that um, mean? Just ha how to get into the ropes, 
uh, it seems easy to watch on TV when you see people slide in on the bottom r- rope. Uh, Jeff Hardy slides halfway across the ring. When you do it and you catch your knees on the ring apron and you're hurt for a couple of days, it puts a little in perspective that some simple things that you see on TV are not necessarily the simplest. It just takes practice to go over. Uh, so it's a process where they go in and out of the ring, jumping in and out, how to land so they don't roll their ankles, hurt their backs. Um, as far as falling, what we call bumping and getting knocked down onto the mat, taking a bump, that's when you get hit and you fall to the mat. And, and you, you need to learn how to do that the right way, right? Yes. And it's, and it's not a secret. It's not magic. It's just common sense. If you take any martial art class, you want to distribute the energy across as as big a part of the body as possible. Uh, If you punch somebody in the back with your knuckle out, it's going to hurt probably more than if it was just the entire fist, if it's your entire forearm. So it's the dispersion of energy on there. Same with the uh, back bump is learning how to fall properly where you're landing and you're landing flat so that all the energy goes all across. Still feel it, but you don't feel it as much as if you landed too high on your neck or if you landed strictly on your butt uh, like people do when you fall on ice and you take take a bad fall. So it's just learning the proper ways of doing it. I, I will say it's nothing fake about it. It's just common sense. If I'm going to throw you into a wall, would you put your hands up or would you just smile and let your face go into the wall natural instinct is going to be to protect yourself. We teach how to protect when you're doing all these falls. And that's usually a month or so into training. Uh, Some places will teach you how to bump right away because that makes you a wrestler. That's what separates you. I don't believe in that. You need to learn how to take a headlock, a top wrist lock, some what we call basic maneuvers. Because when you get into a locker room of AEW and WWE, a veteran will come up to you and see if you know how to wrestle. You may never have to do that on TV, but they want to make sure you actually know what you're doing behind the scenes. Is that still called chain wrestling? Yes, chain wrestling. Yes. Uh, and that's that's something you often still see. I mean, at the, at the very beginning of a match when, when wrestlers lock up, right? They'll do some of those basic maneuvers and then get to the high-flying stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, like taking the arm, working an arm or a headlock or working the legs and going back and forth. And it has some amateur wrestling components to it just on a bigger stage and it's professional now and it's entertainment. It's a TV show. So a lot of the stuff can be applied in real life, but you do it now for the TV. So the audience can see and hopefully be entertained by it. It seems, and and you tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, you're the expert on this, but it seems like uh, that's kind of like a baseline that every wrestler has. And if they get lost in a match or, you know, if you need to come back together or whatever, then you can start at that base again, come back together, do a little bit of chain wrestling and then get back into another high spot. Is that, would that be right to say, or is that? Yeah, that, that is accurate. Yes. All right. So you've, uh, you've done locker room etiquette. You, uh, take your first bump. Um, you talked about getting in and out of the ring, um, a little bit of chain wrestling. So where might you move from there? Yeah. Well, actually, and before bumping, uh, in the beginning is running the ropes, That's usually an eye-opener for all the new students because when you're hitting the ropes, WWE uses actual rope. Most other places use a cable that just has plastic around it, and then it's just taped for uh, color. And when you hit the ropes under your arm, you get bruised. And some people, depending on their 
they will bleed a little bit, you know, and it, it cuts you, cuts you up some and gives you a little test because you run the ropes regularly. Cause in order to become a master, you have to do things a million times and then do it again for a million times. You, you never check it off your box saying, okay, I'm done. I'm good. I know how to run the ropes. I know how to bump. You're constantly doing it. So that's usually when you get people that mainly stop coming to training is when they run the ropes because that's the first time where they'll start feeling feeling their body a lot where they see the pain or they see the blood vessels popped in their body and they get they get a little scared. All right. So, uh, all right, where are we going from here? So we, we've run the ropes. We've, we're in the ring. We've bumped. We've chain wrestled. Where are we going from here? Then we'll start putting together some moves. And that's just to get people to understand ring awareness. It's every ring is different. It could be a 22 footer, or 20 footer, 18, and even as small as a 16 foot. So it's understanding and being comfortable in the ring. So you know what you can and cannot do in a 16 footer. You do not want to pick somebody up and flip them over your head. If you're in the middle of the ring, because they are going outside the ring or in the ropes uh, from there. So it's just calling different plays, if you will, like tying into football, calling a different play, tackle, drop down, headlock, leapfrog, like, you know, these types of things, just getting people to start processing. This is how I put things together. So I can start thinking like where Nyla, she may touch on two or three moves ahead. The people at the level that you see on TV are usually already in their head, two or three moves of what's going to be coming and their opponent is going to adjust to it and they're going to have two or three moves. And it's just, again, putting on that, that story that when you know the, the true behind the scenes, it's pretty impressive when you watch two people go at it and put on one heck of a match that has you excited. You're sitting there, not sure what was going to happen. And they put on what we say a five-star match on there going, that takes uh, a lot of years of experience and skill to get to that point. To give an example. When I was tag teaming with Ivan Koloff and you know, it was a great honor and I was green as goose poop and we were in this big gym and Ivan threw the opponent outside the ring and I put the boots to him because I'm the bad guy. I was the heel and Ivan tore into me telling me to get the blank back into the corner where my mom and dad heard him yell at me <laughs> and asked me after the match and Ivan was one of the greatest, like he trained a lot of individuals out there and uncle Ivan, I learned so much from him, but he was saying, I'm the bad guy. Yes. Jump out, put the boots to him. Cause that's what we got to do. Cheat when the ref's not looking. But then in the same regard, when the ref's looking, you can't be stupid and, and cheat in front of a ref's face because then you're making them look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. So I needed to get back in the corner when the ref turned to look. So we have the plausible deniability. I didn't do anything wrong. The crowd's going nuts saying, yes, they are cheating. And it was the little things that, yeah, makes sense. And sitting here now telling the story going, yeah, how did I not know that? But that's where it comes from learning. So uncle Ivan calling it out, telling me what to do to see how to put on a show for everybody so that they could be entertained. So uh, we talked at the beginning a lot about the wrestlers that you trained uh, and all the success they've gone on to have. But you just mentioned uh, a very prominent person that you've worked with. So tell us some of the big stars you've worked with or that have come through your promotion. That Who I worked with early on was uh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, who was my very first 
He's the guy that got me into wrestling. I uh, loved it. So I had an honor of winning the tag team titles with him, and we got to beat SD Jones and um, Tony Atlas. So that was uh, amazing on there. Stepped in the ring with Wahoo McDaniel, Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, Tommy Rich, some of the old, old school uh, people. When I started Kaida Pro, I wanted to bring in the best for me to continue to learn from them as well as for the students. And we had a really good working relationship with ECW, who was hot at the time. Uh, we had Steve Carino, Little Nunzio, who, if you wanted somebody to chain wrestle, would be phenomenal. Steve Carino promos. He's at the WWE Performance Center now. He was the guy at promo. Dawn Marie and Simon Diamond. Uh, if I still recall, Simon Diamond is working for TNA behind the scenes. They came in. Dawn helped the ladies. She helped Mickey James uh, a great deal on there. Simon was just how to put all the matches together. We've had Terry Taylor, who has a long history of working behind the scenes in WCW, WWE, uh, TNA on there. So Dory Funk Jr. Uh, came down with his wife. We had Tommy Dreamer show up uh, to give his input on what's happening. You had Tony Atlas at some point, didn't you? Yes, we had Tony. Tony, I used Tony was in New Jersey. I worked the show and there was the tables. People try to sell merchandise, you know, to get money for the fans. And I won't state who was next to Tony Atlas at the table, but the person would not allow a picture to be taken without being paid. This was in a day and age of a Polaroid camera. No one had cell phones to take a picture. You had your 35 millimeter camera, but they sold Polaroids. And this wrestler refused to let the father get a picture with his young kid, maybe six, seven, eight years old. You could tell just thrilled looking at these enormous men. Came next to Tony Atlas and Tony Atlas shook his head. No, like not going to do a picture neither. And then Tony Atlas got out, walked out the, it was in the school, out the one set of doors and went to the other set of doors to go where the kid was going down in the line to get the pit, let, allow the picture taken. That just stuck out to me. Like you're amazing and cool. Plus he didn't step on the toes of his colleague. You know, he respected his colleague, but he also allowed there. So I brought Tony Atlas into my very first show that I promoted and it, it was awesome. Like he was great. And just listening to how he, as he said, when I get off the airport, I'm yours. You know, put me to work. Send me to a place doing autograph signing to help sponsor the show. He goes, or you can put me in a hotel room and pick me up before I wrestle. But that, you know, that's up to you. And those are the old school mentalities where these people, they work, they know how they made their living. Uh, but yeah, Tony Atlas helped me in the very beginning on my first show, made it very special. That's awesome. All right. Well, you ready to, to bring on Nyla to the show? Yes, it'll be great to see her. All right. Well, you can see her wrestle every week on TV, on TBS and TNT for All Elite Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome AEW superstar Nyla Rose. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, Nyla. Well, how about we start with how you got into the wrestling industry? Uh, so how it started for me is I was playing rock band and I was trying to beat the high score on Thunder Horse. And uh, <laughs> my my best friend went down to check out this local wrestling school because we, we were uh, really we, we were huge fans of wrestling. And it was something we always wanted to try. Like we, we had I don't want to say we didn't have aspirations of like, quote unquote, making it. But, you know, we, we didn't know what was going to come up. But it's definitely something we wanted to 
shoot our shot at. Uh, we found out there was this wrestling school really close to where he had moved to down in Manassas. And um, we made plans. Hey, let's go check it out. Yeah, I'll come out after work, you know, on Wednesday or whatever the day was. He jumped the gun. He was so excited. And he went without me to talk to the, this wrestling school to see what see what was up. So I'm playing Thunder Horse on Rock Band. And uh, I get a phone call that something happened at the wrestling school and there, there was an incident oh, and no. <laughs> my friend had to be rushed to the hospital. I needed to call Jim Zavesky down at Kaida Pro Wrestling off of Balls Ford Road in Manassas, Virginia right away because it was urgent. I was listed as emergency contact. So I immediately called Jimmy back about seven hours later. <laughs> Jim had no idea who I was or what I was talking about because it had been so long. He completely forgot what the rib was. That's a shoot. That's how it started. That, yeah, that is so accurate that I was going to rib. Give me the phone number. Let me call. Call her to come to the hospital. And it was hours and hours later, I was home and got the call back. And I, I mean, that joke had sailed. <laughs> and it was like, wait, whoa, what's going on? So, yeah. Bottom line the, is Nyla is not the best person to part as an emergency. I was going to say, the, 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 the first thing we've learned in this podcast today is Nyla is a caring person. Yeah. I, I, I immediately <laughs> called back. <laughs> seven hours later like and the best part is i still didn't beat the high score like it, it was it was a fruitless endeavor like don't list nyla rose as your emergency contact no, no do not <laughs> all right so uh so you said that you were a fan of wrestling yeah so uh growing up you watched it who was your favorite wrestler growing up uh so many so many but um to kind of like circle back around to this whole story involving the best friend, uh, Undertaker was a huge, huge uh, inspiration, huge fan of, uh, or fan of mine, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a huge fan of his. Um, and Undertaker and Shawn Michaels is kind of what brought us together. I had just transferred out of DC schools and had started my life here in uh, Virginia. I wore an Undertaker shirt to school one day and there's this kid in the class wearing a Shawn Michaels shirt and we walk into, which was our uh, TA period, teacher advisory, basically a free period, uh, get some homework done, do some stuff, like whatever it was. It wasn't like a structured class. Um, but I walk in and this is like my third or fourth day in the school um, of the school year. And I see this kid with the Shawn Michaels shirt on. I have an Undertaker shirt. We immediately like it was it was a meet cute of sorts. Like we immediately like <laughs> made eyes and like. Oh, we're on the same page. Like he like waves me over and we're just talking about wrestling. He pulls out like four or five WWF magazines at the time. And we're, like, we just started our friendship there. That's awesome. Jimmy, how about you? Uh, wrestler you were a big fan of when you were a kid? Uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Uh, really quickly, because you mentioned a word and I, I think we can just run through a real quick, uh, a few wrestling words that many of my listeners wouldn't know. So a rib. Ah, a rib is a joke, like a little, uh, you, you, you're goofing with somebody playing a joke on them. And, uh, ribs are pretty famous in a wrestling locker room from what I hear. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, uh, you know, there are some people go a little too far. They get a little malicious, but just like, you know, April fool jokes or whatever, but it's a good way to kind of like build that camaraderie with your locker room mates, your, your, uh, uh, roster mates, if you will. Uh, I've heard that many companies have like real famous ribbers. Uh, is there somebody in AEW who is known as like 
the greatest river in no, the locker me, room? No, me hands down. One hundred percent. You? Me. Oh, for sure. I've I, the yeah, person I, who doesn't I, understand <laughs> when ribs are happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, like it's probably me. It's it's um. Let me think. Uh, I would probably say between myself, Ricky Starks. Uh, for for certain, Ricky Starks is a big jokester. Uh, probably some of the top top people who are, who are, you really have to question what they're telling you. <laughs> All right, uh, kayfabe. Let's uh, define kayfabe. Uh, kayfabe is the magic. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's, it's, it's our magic word. It's, it's how we keep the magic alive. We try to keep the magic alive because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very different age and it's, it's a little tricky to do. I won't say it's impossible. It's tricky to do so, but, you know, that therein lies the art. Okay. So, uh, kayfabe, there was a few others. Uh, heel, face, work, shoot. <laughs> Hill face work shoot. Um, again, all all these insider terms that the fans want to be privy to. Um, but you know, we it's it's 2022 now. We all know what pro wrestling is. These are kind of the assigned designations. You know, heel is is uh, the person being the scumbag at the time, whoever that may be. The face, the baby face, is is the crowd favorite, the the one who's on the path of righteousness, the good guy, if you will. Um, work and shoot. Those are terms for what may be perceived to be a little bit more legitimate than the other. I know I will say about the kayfabe uh, on there is I think Nyla hit it on, on the head is a lot of people want to get behind the curtain. So they'll come to the wrestling school because they can all be the next Hulk Hogan, even though they stand five foot six, <laughs> you know, and they, they think they know it and it's going to be easy, but then they take a bump, run the ropes and they, you know, fall out and leave. They still want to be a part. So they somehow either start out as an announcer or work their way into a indie promotion that just lets people be a part of it, you know? And so now they're on the other side of the guardrail doing whatever it is that they're doing. And then before you know it, they're a referee, then they become a promoter. Then they know everything that's happening. I think like now I said is, Keeping the magic, like really the heel and face now, it changes every week depending on who 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 Nyla is wrestling. I mean, she's pretty much the the tough lady on there, but always going to be hated. But you're going up against somebody else. You know, who do you want to root for? Cody Rhodes, I think right now is, is he a baby face or is he a heel? And exactly. it's half the crowd and John Cena, you know, they're, they're going to determine <laughs> as they go on. But it's like people want to get on the other side of the curtain without paying their dues. And it takes respect. Nyla's still here. Her friend, <laughs> I don't even remember his name, <laughs> you know, and, and was a great athlete. Yeah, I, remember, I do remember him starting out strong and being a great athlete, but then petered away because it's hard on the body. Now, Jimmy, I've heard you have particularly tough rings to wrestle in. They really, really hurt when you take a bump. Is this true? You know, but the the joke the jokes on everybody else. Those rings were the worst rings. They absolutely were. But in hindsight, I'm so grateful for it because we basically trained in a boxing ring <laughs> with like with like little to no give. <laughs> 
it, but, <laughs> but well, no, 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 no. It's it's a good thing. It's it's honestly a good thing because there's definitely a bit of a culture shock on a lot of people that I've seen when they get to Japan and they're working in the same stiff ass rings. Like it's it's very much the same thing. So like having that early training, getting used to the the harder ring early, it, it was like anything else was a treat. It was great. Go ahead, Jimmy. I'll let you defend yourself. Yes, because actually Mickey James has said something months ago and saying about a boxing ring. The ring was a professional wrestling ring built by ringside, which is known for their boxing equipment. If you look at the spring in the center, it was a wrestling ring. Was it stiff? I don't know. I didn't bump in it. <laughs> That's, you know, the part of the good, good thing. But it's right now still in my garage, still in great condition. It's not like these other rings that break after a couple of years of use, but it was not a boxing ring. And uh, I'll go with what Nyla said. And I, I, I really studied the Japanese art of what rings they use. And I wanted to bring that to Virginia <laughs> back in 1998. So thank you for helping me uh, justify that. But it was an actual wrestling ring uh, made by ringside. All right. So from both of your perspectives, what makes a good match? Story and uh, emotion uh, moments. Um, nobody, nobody's going to remember each individual move that you do. So if you, if you do a, you know, a cool double backflip into a thrust kick, like, okay, that's really cool. But like, why are you doing it? You know, that's, what's going to make that move mean something is the why, the why behind you're executing that move. And that's what I feel a lot of people are missing. They want to do cool stuff just because they can do cool stuff. And hey, by all means, uh, you know, Marvel movies are smashed at the box office. Everybody wants to see Spider-Man come out and flip through, you know, tunnels and everything and do all this cool stuff. Of course they do. No one's saying don't do it, but make it mean something. Make why you're doing it have a little bit of emotional connection behind it. That, exactly. And that's all I'll name drop. That was what Terry Taylor, when he came to our training school to teach people. And there is a student who is now, who's made it in TNA working for AEW. And he challenged the guy to say, why did you do that? They basically, it was a, a punch thrown le leading into a high spot. And Terry Taylor just wanted to go, like, why did you do that? You didn't put any effort into it. And every guy that has come to the training school when I had ECW guys coming, exactly every move should count for something. And there are the high spot matches that the people are entertained with. But if you're throwing a punch, taking a hold, there should be intent behind it not to lead to the next move. So, I mean, and that's that was Terry Taylor, as soon as Nyler was mentioning that, why did you do that? <laughs> that was pretty much Terry Taylor's takeaway that weekend was he challenged everybody asking. And on the Indies, I feel you see that a lot. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just, let me react. You know, let me do what I want to do. Not sure how the crowd's going to respond to it. And I think you have to tie in that the crowd needs to respond. I'll ask each of you uh, in the industry today or growing up or, or whatever at any point in time, Who's somebody you really respected for their ring psychology, for the way they put together matches and had that intention and that emotion behind each of the parts of the match? 
the hearts, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, like instantly right off the top of my head, like soon as you ask that question, those are my like immediate. Um, and I'm, I'm sure if I think a little deeper, I can dig up some other names, but right away, Bret and Owen Hart, top of my list. See, now I'll go even the old school is just who captivated me was Jimmy Snuka. When he first started, he didn't talk. Captain Lou Albano was the manager, had a great body. And when he got hit in the head with the coconut by Roddy Piper, I can still visualize it because it was like, oh, wow. Uh, and then he had Buddy Rogers as his manager, and he spoke for the first time when he said something like, get away or leave me alone. And it, I just remember being in the living room going and telling my mom that Superfly just spoke. You know, like it, it was big to me. So now older and understanding psychology, I enjoyed watching all his matches. Being able to see when he jumped off the cage and getting to see it on YouTube now, after that going, it was just something that amazed me, you know, captivated me at how he did it. Because he usually always got beat up, but found a way to win. All right, Nyla and Jimmy, uh, I've heard that some people like to plan out their entire match and know from start to finish how it's going to go. I've heard other people are more spontaneous and they call things on the fly. Nilo, uh, what's your philosophy when it comes to planning a match? Uh, so it really just depends on why the match is happening. Uh, the first thing I like to find out is what is the business of the match? Much like ring psychology, why are we throwing a punch? Why are we throwing a kick? Why am I power slamming you right now? Why am I having this match? What, what is it we're trying to tell with this match? So once I know what the story behind the match is, the business of the match, then I know where to go with it. Um, from there, it's what needs to happen. And we plan around that and work backwards. Now, that sounds good. I mean, I will say AEW is a little different because there's a storyline. I mean, that's the TBS title is just up for... Is Nyla going to end up going against Jade? Get those wins. On the independence, it's a one-shot deal. Then you move on. So sometimes it's a little more difficult to tell a story, you know, a storyline over the course. So you just have a match and people go in there and they want to showcase what they know. So they sometimes say they want to get all their stuff in as the, as the saying goes. So sometimes it's a little bit more difficult on the independence to tell the story and what the promoter wants you necessarily to do. Cause you're like, Hey, I just drove five hours. I want to wrestle for 12 minutes, not just get squashed and, or wrestle for two minutes, get pinned. And then I'm driving back home with, you know, gas tank money. So I think it does make a difference depending on the level where you can tell stories and people can follow it on a weekly basis or monthly basis. Now, in wrestling today, there are so many high spots, like these really big, exciting points in a match where there's all these different moves that are linked together, back to back to back to back to back. So how do you remember all those things? I wouldn't have the memory to do that. I, I honestly don't either. Um, and it's, it's one of those things I, so I tell people, if, if, you can't, if you can't think of or process seven things in an instant, don't become a wrestler. Because when you're when you're in the ring, you you there's a especially at this level, there's a lot to think of. You know, if um, I have to think of where my body is in the ring, I have to think of where my opponent's body is in relation to my body in the ring. Where are the both of us in relation to the cameras? Um, where you know where are we in our storytelling? Uh, where 
do we need to go? There's so much you have to think of in an instant. Also, trying to communicate these things while you're thinking and listening, uh, because especially when you're on TV, you're getting time cues. Hey, we're going to commercial in two minutes. You know, so there's there is a lot of things going on at one time. And if if you struggle uh, multitasking, for lack of a better word, you might not want to be a wrestler as or at least at this level, because there is a lot of things going on and there is a lot of pressure. Um, but to, to for a quick sound bite to kind of answer your question and this this may pop Jimmy. Um, uh, but uh <laughs> One one thing he told me, and um, believe it or not, Jim, I actually listen to you a lot. And one of the ways that I actually, I don't remember all those things, but one of the ways I, I have learned to adapt it is he always said, stay loose, stay gumby, and just kind of learn to read your opponent's body. Um, so they grab me, I'm loose, and I'm ready to go wherever the hell they want to go. All right, so here's another term for you listeners, pop. <laughs> to garner a reaction. Right. All right. Oh, and here's another one. Uh, heat. Uh, what's the best way I can dumb this down? Uh, heat is is to garner a reaction, <laughs> typically in a negative fashion. Um, all right. So, Jimmy, from your perspective, uh, so Nyla's told us about um, sort of laying out a match, thinking about where it's going and, and the psychology of that. From your perspective as a promoter, you're putting together a card. What are you thinking about? When you're, when you're putting about, you know, who to put together, what the finishes are going to be, who should go where, tell us some of the thought process that goes into that. Truly, it's getting people. <laughs> Number one, my biggest thing is professional. You know, like, who's going to come here and do the right things? Uh, and then as far as matching up is who will work well together. I will pay Nyla a compliment. I mean, she has that acting history in the small theaters um, in Alexandria, if I can say, you know. She knows how to command a presence on the stage. I went and seen a few different plays, you know, with her knowing that she could be a chameleon. Uh, if I could speak there, uh, she was an announcer for Kaida Pro. Why? Because I needed an announcer. Bam! I needed a ninja because <laughs> I invested in some ninja dolls that was a real bad investment and I needed to get rid of them. She's like, I can go under a ninja outfit and perform until making <laughs> the ninjas go away. So, uh, you know, those types of things, knowing she's going to listen. So you could put her against somebody who has more experience at the time when she was green and she's going to do what she said. And I think that's the best thing is the people that came through my school were able to listen and knowing that they're not going to hurt the other person and they're not going to hurt themselves because they're going to respond to whoever the other person is in the ring, basically being the ring general who's going to control the match. And when I brought in experienced people, they were people that truly were experienced. Uh, just because you have seven years experience doesn't mean you're necessarily a good or safe wrestler uh, from there. So it's like an input on the card is who's going to be the main event. What's going to get the crowd going home saying that was awesome. You know, how can we tie it in? The first match is going to determine how people are going to, are they going to laugh at this place and say, this is a joke? Are they going to be like, this is pretty cool to see what it is. It's that roller coaster ride, but you got to start in the beginning. You got to tease something to let them know this is going to be a good ride. You know, just stay with it. The end results are going to happen. And that's ideally what you try to make happen. How about the finishes of the matches as a promoter? So, who's going to quote unquote go over or win the match 
versus who's going to do the job or lose the match? It pretty much what it amounted to was the one or two matches where I wanted a certain person to go over it, and then the other ones were just to balance it out so you didn't have, you know, it, it, there will, contrary to Shorty Smalls, so if he hears this, they're like sometimes there's no rhyme or reason other than it's just, you know, I, I, this person is doing it. Uh, but again, it's trying to, in your head, picture how you want the crowd to react. And there is no better feeling that when in your mind you've played it so long on how you want the show to happen. And if a match goes and it does better, you know, than expected, it just, it blows my mind. Uh, cause it's such a great, great feeling that going, yes, that was the ride I wanted or they took it to another level. But there's not always a specifics on there. Cause usually the people can work it out. You know, it's like, Hey, put on a good match. And if a match is done properly, most people don't really pay attention to who won or lost. They're going to talk about something in that match or what was the story that they were trying to get across. Now, I know that AEW has been a breath of fresh air to a lot of fans who, since WCW closed its doors, really wanted a true competitor to the WWE. So can you tell us a little bit about your experiences in AEW, Nyla, and how you got there? Uh, first off, thank you. Uh, I do I do take that like a little to heart because I've been there since the the on the ground floor since the ground up, um, helping helping build the company, and it, it feels really good to hear people say that to to have been a part of something that makes them feel that way. Um, I, I really don't know how I ended up there. Uh, just a, a, a lovely uh, series of of happenstances. You know, I, I went to wrestling school under the tutelage of Jimmy Z and, and a few others, um, which gave me the skills I needed to kind of make a little bit of a name myself on the indies. Um, got an opportunity to have a tryout for uh, Nagayo Chigusa, legend in uh, Japan and, you know, to the smaller, more knowledgeable wrestling fans here in the States. Um, she loved my work. She brought me over to Japan. Uh, we developed a great relationship uh, uh student teacher relationship um and I, I had been going back and forth to japan for four or five years uh working for her learning under her uh and and, and networking that way uh working with uh mako saitomura and in her promotion sendai girls and somewhere during all that because of Jimmy Z, because of uh, Marvelous, Nagayo's promotion in Japan, um, I caught the eye of Kenny Omega. It, it's, it's Kenny Omega. Everybody knows Kenny Omega, right? Um, caught, the, caught his eye and, and I was on his radar. And that's just a testament. You never know who is watching you. Because I had, I had no idea. It, little, little known to me. Um, I, I made a little joking post about their first event, uh, All In, and, you know, made a little joke post about how I wanted to be a part of it. And it, it was just kind of like using that traction to get some eyes on me. Didn't think anything of it, put it out there, got a few laughs, a few reactions. Uh, I come back from Japan and I get a message from Kenny Omega uh, online. I thought somebody, here we go, full circle. I thought somebody was ribbing me. And I kind of like, hey, whatever, you know, piss off, Kenny Omega. Sure, <laughs> sure this is. And he's like, no, 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 it's really me. And I check it out. He's got like the verified check mark. And I'm like, oh, God. 10 million followers. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> 
So, you know, so we, uh, we, we exchange contact information. We jump offline and have like an official conversation. I'm like, holy crap, this is real. And he like tells me they're, they're putting something together. Not sure where it's going to go, but if I might be interested in being a part of it. Um, uh, duh. Yes, I am. So it, it but it's wrestling. Ne- I never believe a long time ago. I, st- I started saying, I'm not going to believe it till I'm in the ring. And, and, even though it was coming from Kenny Omega himself, how many times have I heard, hey, starting a promotion, hey, starting a promotion, and nothing ever comes of it, especially on this level. Uh, you know, there's a lot of gears in place and things can kind of fall through any moment. But it was like each day things were trucking along more and more in the positive, more in the concrete. It's like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Like this, this is actually going to happen. And before too long, I, I got plane tickets in my email and, hey, come on out to Vegas. We're going to announce this thing. Let's do this. And it was like, this is real. We're really about to do this. But then, uh, you know, flash forward a couple of months. We're in Vegas. The ticket announce party about the, the first show, Double or Nothing at the MGM Grand. And I'm like, this this is real. Uh, I'll tell you what AEW has because Nyla comped us tickets in Pittsburgh and I went with a friend not involved in the business, just a wrestling fan. The crowd was so intense, almost had a vibe. I don't want to disrespect. It wasn't ECW level, but the crowd was so into everything that was happening. And when the workers came, when the wrestlers came out, you could see them, feeding off of the crowd. Like you could see the energy going back and forth. It wasn't, Hey, I'm a superstar and I'm getting paid to perform. It was, I think the way I looked at it, they were coming out going, Oh my, I I get to perform. You know, I get a huge crowd that's hot right now making it happen. And it was so exciting. I, and actually I think I was texting Nyla while she was wrestling because she was supposed to be involved in the main event, but wasn't Uh, anyway. Um, as I'm watching, it was just, it was so electric going, this is something, you know, and hope, and they've been building on this and continuing to grow. It, it's pretty cool to see. Like that's, I, I feel like the fans are responding because they are giving the fans what they want. They're getting some pretty good action. You've got the entertainment, you've got the wrestling, you got the high flyers, you know, you've got a little bit of everything going on there. I'm I'm curious to see where it's going to be in five or 10 years. It's definitely not going to be, I don't think WCW, but I feel like eyes are going to open up and there's going to be a little more concern on people's you know faces. So to try to bigger contracts to draw people away, but I've, and, and Nyla can speak on this. I feel like AEW has some loyalty though, in that locker room because people know, Hey, you, you've given me my shot and I'm running with it. Let, you know, let's ride this thing out. Well, I'll just give some gentle pushback, Nyla. Um, very gentle, uh, which is to say that um, I, I think you have uh, something more special than you're letting on. I mean, uh, there seems to be a reaction among fans to what AEW is doing. That's that it's something big. It's something a lot bigger than maybe you're you're too humble to give yourself credit for. Yeah, I, I don't take that as pushback. It's it's there is definitely a magic. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, like you said, the, the, the crowd, the fans have wanted something for so long and now they're getting it. 
Um, and it's just, it's what wrestling is. Wrestling is magic. Uh, it, but, but it's backstage. It's in the performers. It's in the crowd. Like we, we're all in this together and we're all feeding off of each other. And it's just making these beautiful moments that are just going to continue to grow. That relationship between the performer, the company, and the crowd, it is really amazing. A great match with a dead crowd doesn't look like a great match, right? The, the crowd is really, really important. Can you talk about that relationship between the crowd's energy and the product? Uh, yeah, it's, it, I mean, there's not really much more to say there, but you kind of, you kind of nailed it. You know, if, uh, it, it's, it's human nature. You see it in the theater, you see it, hell, you see it at the zoo, you know, animals. So maybe, maybe it's not human nature. It's just the nature of things. Uh, you know, if a big enough crowd is at the lion's cage and they're paying attention, the lion starts doing things, you know, like we just feed off of energy and that's kind of what's happening here. Like, the fans are so uh, uh, rabidly hungry for what we're putting out. They're coming with this amazing energy and we feel that. So we want to give that back. Like, Hey, thanks. Thanks for what you're giving us. Like we want to give, give you everything we have and we're going out there and every single one of us is leaving it all out there in the ring every single time, every single match. All right. Um, I'll ask you both this question. I'll start with you now. You've both been uh, involved in this business for a long time. So uh, looking back at your, at your younger self, when you were first getting into the business, uh, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back in a time machine, what's some of the advice, some of the things you wish you had known when you were first stepping foot into the business, Nyla? Um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that I, I, uh, I don't necessarily know that I, I would wish I had known. Uh, it's been a thrill. It's been a lot of fun kind of learning and discovering along the way. Um, I, I think I would just write myself some words of encouragement, you know, cause especially during training, there were some hard days. There were days I questioned if this was for me, if, if I had what it took. Uh, so I, if, if anything, I would just kind of maybe put my mind at ease and let myself know, Hey, keep it up, stick with it. It's going to get better in every conceivable way. If you were speaking to somebody who wanted to get into the business right now, what are some things you might, some, some piece of advice you might give them, Nyla, as a worker? Um, mouth closed, ears open. <laughs> that, was, that was the advice given to me. And I think I genuinely would not be where I am if I didn't follow it. Um, you can learn a lot by just listening and observing and having an open mind uh, and and not thinking you know everything. Even if you do know everything, don't act like you know everything because I guarantee you there's something you don't. Jimmy, someone who wants to start as a promoter, what are some pieces of advice you might give them? Well, that's a promoter. I think it helps to be, you know, have a little bit of the business. I didn't like to bump, but understanding what's, what's going on, but it's to be persistent. Uh, that's when you have wrestlers i mean nyla how long have you been wrestling before you made your first national televised appearance on AEW? all together i want to say what like 15 years you know and mickey james was seven years when she went down to ohio valley nothing happens overnight you, you, that's the thing that i think people don't understand there's a lot of hopping in cars and driving 
with Trayvon in a van making prank phone calls and letting Nyla just go to town and entertain us uh, from there <laughs> with no money being made. You know, you're spending money uh, doing it, but you have to stick with it. And that's where, you know, the trips to Japan and, and going now on Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights, you, you can see Nyla on TV. It's awesome. Mickey James paid her dues where she wasn't making the money that now she's financially secure and probably has that horse farm that she talked about when we would be at Denny's, you know, and it's cool to see people <laughs> keep their dreams alive and actually achieve it and fulfill it. So it's, it's awesome with it. As far as promoting, a lot of times, though, it's, it's a business and it's, you're, you're not going to get rich. You're not going to make money. It is fun. Yes, you get to meet your heroes, your wrestling uh, people on there, but those are the ones that close up shop pretty quick because they want to meet Nyla Rose. So they'll give her $10,000, you know, you know, to come out. And then you draw 200 people going, wow, I didn't have enough money to pay anybody. So, but I got to meet my idol or my hero or what have you. So you got to treat it like a business. Uh, Nyla, I hear something about a Marvel comic book. Uh, can you expand <laughs> upon that? Sure. Um, I'm writing a Marvel comic book, <laughs> uh, through the, through the magic of pro wrestling. I've been, uh, linked up with Steve Orlando, who is, uh, a writer over at Marvel. And he asked me of all people what I want to, uh, co-write with him on the new Thunderbird that's coming out. Um, so that's what we're working on. That is the current side project. Uh, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm getting the, the wonderful opportunity to do things that I've wanted to do that I never dreamed I would actually get to do. It's pretty amazing. Nyla, when you, when you hang up the boots for the final time, whenever that is, Sting is in his sixties now, so we'll, we'll see how this goes for you. But, uh, when you, when you hang up the boots for the final time, uh, what are some things on your wrestling bucket list? What are some things you haven't done that you'd like to accomplish by that time? Um, headline a major show for sure. Um, <laughs> get myself a shadow box on Jimmy's wall. <laughs> it's, a, it's a personal, personal goal of mine. Again, Jimmy, this is an audio show. Uh, yeah. so all the all the stuff you're doing on video right now, it's called a podcast, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a shadow box on Jimmy's wall. I'll be able to give him a full gift card, and uh, so he doesn't have to lock himself in a bathroom for hours. Um, it's there's 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 a few things out there. Yeah. <laughs> But even when I hang up the boots from in-ring competition, I'm still, I love this business too much. I definitely want to work backstage um, in some capacity. Uh, I would, I would love to open my own school. Uh, maybe I'll buy it from Jimmy or, you know, take it over when he has a heart attack. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Nyla's a lifer. Uh, so, Jimmy, um, I know you're, uh, you're an avid promoter. Uh, wrestling never seems to leave you. Uh, even when the business goes down, you pop back up again. So uh, by the time you're done with wrestling, what are some things as a promoter you want to do before before it's all over? Being honest with you is like here in Nyland, I've seen some of the stuff she's doing uh, with AEW. But it's pretty cool, like sitting here, as I said, with Mickey James, going to Mike's Diner and Denny's and hanging out with her after practice and then seeing her at WrestleMania. 
and people lined up two hours early for the autograph signing and going, things have changed. While Nyla's talking about this Marvel Comics, she's on TV every week. She's been to Japan and I'm thinking, and yet we used to go on a motorcycle rides in the DC late nights when the streets were empty and <laughs> I still the, the, the one and have some stories to tell from that. And I'm sitting there going, wow, like, like just so cool seeing her accomplishing her goals. And, and some of the goals I don't think are things she knew were her goals. Marvel comic is like, what, you, you know, where, where is this happening? I'm not a comic book guy. I know Marvel, <laughs> you know, like, and the friends that I've spoken to about the X-Men and stuff are all impressed. So it, it, it's just, it's fascinating and cool to me. So even if I'm so-called out of the business, I'm not because I can still follow all these people, whether it's Logan, you know, still fighting to try to get his mark to, you know, get his pay uh, as a pro wrestler, but also knowing he's a teacher in the daytime. So he's not desperate. It, it's one of those Nyla continuing to do what she's doing. Hopefully AEW will continue to grow. Um, she mentioned the shadow box because for the viewers, I have a shadow box with Mickey James of her very first picture on her very first show at a kind of pro show. And then when she won the title at WrestleMania in Chicago and uh, the replica belt. And it was just so cool because I got to go see that. And again, seeing her wrestle in front of 50 people in an armory to then having the Chicago crowd turn on Trish Stratus and start chanting her name. Getting goosebumps just thinking because it was like I, I got to experience that. And I, I was just a fan in the seat. But knowing what she went through to achieve that, Nyla's getting there. Like that's I'm I'm the Pittsburgh show was close where it was like, like, I know this person. She's my friend, not from a wrestling standpoint. I also know that if I call her in seven hours, she's going to call me back. Like, so if I'm stranded on the side of the road and within seven hours, I'm going to get a call back. And then chances are, she'll say she's on her way. And right after it'll guitar be hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's things you learn about people. But no, it's just, you know, what I want to accomplish is just helping people have an opportunity to achieve their dreams. All right, Nyla, before I let you guys go, I got to ask you to give a message to Sting for me. I am Sting's biggest fan in the whole wide world. Uh, I watched the whole transition from the surfer Sting into the crow Sting, watched his entire fight with the NWO all the way through uh, the end of his time with WCW. So uh, message to Sting from his biggest fan. Before he hangs it up, can you ask him just one time on TV to shave his chin and paint his face in the same way that he painted it at Starcade 1997? I know it's a small difference, but it's a big difference to his biggest fans. Listen, listen, I, I love the short hair bleach blonde Sting as much as anybody else. I was so nervous to meet Sting. This is a true story. I was so nervous to meet Sting because it's Sting, right? We all love Sting. I called this man Mr. Sting. <laughs> I looked this grown man in the face and said, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Sting. And I, I don't know if he was so focused on what he was doing. He no-sold me or if he thought I was an idiot. I don't know. 
where I was in his mind at that point. But immediately <laughs> after it left my mouth, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm, am I done for the night? Because I'm going to go hide in the corner in shame. It's like meeting Stone Cold. Hello, Mr. Cold. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, I instantly turned the icon into a damn Batman villain. <laughs> Well, uh, keep an eye out for what Jimmy Z has coming next with Kaida Pro. And of course, you can watch Nilo Rose on All Elite Wrestling, AEW, every week on TBS and TNT. Nyla, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Before we go, let's take a look around the news. There's a continued threat of Russia invading Ukraine, which is worrisome in and of itself. Nobody wants to see war break out. But even if they don't invade, many commentators have argued that all of these activities by Russia are part of a larger effort to sort of sow chaos and destabilize Western alliances. So very troubling. Uh, Keeping an eye out on that. Hopefully it doesn't continue. Hopefully things de-escalate. We got good news on the vaccines from the CDC. They say that booster doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been overwhelmingly successful in preventing hospitalizations from the Omicron variant. So really good news there. Last week, we had an episode on these phony electors who were sending fraudulent certificates to the National Archives, arguing that there was an alternate slate of electors. It looks like now the Department of Justice is investigating that, so good news on that. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer sent a letter to President Biden formally announcing his retirement. Uh, He said his retirement will take effect when the court, quote, rises for the summer recess, assuming that by then my successor has been nominated and confirmed, end quote. Uh, President Biden announced Thursday that his nominee will, quote, be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court, unquote. He added that he'll reveal his nominee before the end of February. That comes from Axios. This also comes from Axios. Um, The labor shortage continues. Uh, U.S. demographics in the years ahead favor workers over employers. The Congressional Budget Office forecast in July is that the size of the U.S. labor force will grow by a mere 0.2% a year from 2024 to 2031. So employers can't really count on a flood of new workers to fill empty jobs. We've got news on the Doomsday Glacier. Studies show that the Thwaites Glacier in Antarctica could already be on an irreversible course to melt during the next several decades to centuries, freeing up enough inland ice to raise global sea levels by at least several feet, which is, of course, potentially catastrophic to a variety of coastal cities worldwide. And we'll actually have an episode on the Doomsday Glacier coming up here soon. Well, that's it for me. Check us out at connorsforum.org. That's C-O-N-N-O-R-S-F-O-R-U-M.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you Smiling until then Who cares about the clouds when we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Till we meet again
lonely trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing the song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails to you till we meet again. Goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you.